Six nations and six amazing chances to win an unforgettable adventure for you and five mates in a Six Nations European host city of your choice. To take part, enter online now at greenking.co.uk slash rugby. Six nations, six mates and six international rugby getaways worth £3,000. Scrum down and sign up to win at greenking.co.uk slash rugby and watch all the Six Nations action live at your local Green King pub. Terms and conditions apply 18 plus drinkaware.co.uk. Hi, it's Alfie here, the presenter of The Ruck. Before we get to this week's episode, I want to tell you about Funding Circle. And to do that, British and Irish Lions, Saracens and England hooker Jamie George is alongside me. How are you, Jamie? All good, mate. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. It's good to have you with us uh, for The Ruck. Now, Funding Circle backs small and medium UK businesses with simple, competitive business finance. And Jamie is a Funding Circle ambassador because, Jamie, not only are you day-to-day a professional athlete, but you're also a business owner as well. Yeah, yeah. I uh, set up a business with a good school friend of mine about six years ago called Carter & George. Um, we're a physio business that effectively tries to deliver the same level of elite care that I get as a professional sportsman to the general public. So the link between physiotherapy and strength and conditioning and rehabilitation, etc. I've been looking for a physio. so I know a good place. I'll get your card after. Funding Circle has supported over 90,000 British businesses with £12 billion in finance since 2010. So, Jamie, simply, how have Funding Circle helped you? Well, obviously, they've got an amazing um, financial product. So um, our most recent venture is, is trying to grow the business as quickly as we can. We've got five clinics now and we're looking to push on. And obviously, we wouldn't have been able to do that without the help of a funding circle and um, the financial support that they were able to give us. So if you're looking to overcome challenges or push your business forward, Funding Circle provides finance that backs you and your business to succeed. Visit FundingCircle.com to find out how Jamie is growing his business backed by Funding Circle. Hello, this is The Ruck, the rugby podcast from The Times and The Sunday Times. The regular season was meant to come to a close yesterday, but it looks like we've got a few more days to wait until we know whether Sale or Bath will join Exeter, Wasps and Bristol in the Gallagher Premiership playoffs. Premiership rugby has a lot of questions to answer over the COVID chaos, but how did Sharks end up with 19 players and staff testing positive? There are also 12 uncapped players in Eddie Jones' first squad of the autumn, but how many will still be there when he names his party for the Italy match? I'll be getting closer to seeing the big guns of South African rugby join the Pro 14. I'm Lawrence Delalio. Joining me today are Stephen Jones, Chris Jones and Adam Hathaway. Gentlemen, thank you for uh, tearing yourselves away to discuss the the comings and goings of... uh, this frenetic finish to the Premiership rugby season. I mean, it felt like a great shame last weekend because the climax of the Gallagher Premiership season, round 22, following rugby restarting, was looking very exciting. You know, there was, what, um, four teams going for three remaining playoff places. And I guess my, my question is, I, I think, first of all, before we, before we start pointing the finger, I think all the Premiership clubs, the players, the staff... Uh, Premier Rugby, rugby itself should be congratulated for almost getting us to round 22 without these problems. Because, uh, you know, I've been quite surprised, really, that 
that we haven't had a sort of a more serious COVID outbreak um, before round 22 itself. Yeah, I think wherever you go, you're, you're really struck by the safety measures. I mean, I went to the dentist this morning and I didn't feel as safe there as I do in a rugby ground. So it, it, it has been remarkable. I certainly wouldn't join you in lauding all those bodies, Lawrence. But what I would say is, instead of having a sort of a climax which paid tribute to that honesty and, and the excellence of the players, we've got this mishmash. And it, it is a good job that we've got uh, such an intellectually superior panel on today to try and make, well, most of them, not all, but to try and make sense of it. Because I've been sat here all, almost all weekend trying to work out what on earth is happening. So on the one hand, good. On the other hand, I think we will be climbing in soon because something is really rotten at the heart of it. Well, let's get straight into the nuts and bolts of it. I mean, if just to explain to our listeners, the integrity of the league was called into question when Sale were allowed to postpone their game against Worcester until Wednesday of this week, even though Northampton had to forfeit their fixture against Gloucester. Gloucester were given five points and um, were awarded a 20-0 victory, having been exposed to the corona outbreak by Sale. Chris Jones, probably you've been following this story very closely. From the outset, it it looks like there's one rule for the top of the table and a a very different rule for the middle of the table. Obviously, the the outcome of the Sale game has critical relevance to the, uh, the playoff positions, but also one would argue that Worcester still had... Uh, Heineken Champions Cup rugby which they could have secured and now that game against uh, Sale will be sort of meaningless for them so uh, I mean what's your take been on uh, decisions made by Premier Rugby to allow one game to go ahead albeit three days later and another game to be cancelled Look, Lawrence, when they, they get a final table you know there'll be so many asterisks on that table it'll look like it's been machine gunned it's going to be you know, how do you explain this you know, to your kids in the future what the season was about. The, the bottom line of this current situation is that there were two very different criteria here. One, Sale could put out a team and Northampton couldn't. And Northampton couldn't because their poor, only fit loose head packed down against two tight heads from Sale who then tested positive subsequently. So you know, Northampton didn't have players that they could bring in because for some reason the RFU blocked new players coming in despite telling Sale they could. They then rescinded on that agreement. Uh, we don't know why. They, they, funny enough, they don't explain themselves very well. But Sale had a team they could put out. They could put out a 23, which included quite a few academy boys. And you know, just to give you a, a flavour of that side that would have played against Worcester and may still play against Worcester, is that you would have had uh, the Russian international Morozov in the front row. Harrison would have moved across to Tighthead. The, the Tupree brothers in the pack would have played second row. Neils, Ross and Curry would have been in the back row. Cliff and Dupree would have been the halfbacks with Yard and Solomon on the wings with Hill and James and the other James at fullback. So you recognise a lot of those names. Now, Northampton couldn't put out that side because they had serious worries about their remaining players being affected by Sale. And this is the other whole aspect of this is did by playing Sale put other players, innocent players, in a situation they should never have been put in? And that is why Worcester are saying, we don't feel safe. And, yeah. you know, if you're a Worcester player with, you know, with their families and, you know, come on, Alan Solomon is, what, he's 70. He's in the category which would be, would be seriously dangerously exposed to something like this. And, you know, these are all the aspects of this ridiculous situation we've got into because, as I understand it, and I know you've heard the same thing, there was a false negative involving Sale, who then continued training with a player who was actually positive. 
the implications of of anyone catching this dreadful virus are, um you know are, are there for everyone to see if you you know if you're if you're sharing a house with certain people you know one person catches a test positive for 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 the covid-19 then it does affect what everyone else can do and I mean, for Northampton Saints, with all due respect, the, the end of this season couldn't come quick enough because you know things haven't gone well for them since rugby's restarted. But if you think about next season, next Gallagher Premiership rugby season is due to kick off on November the 21st. Uh, as I understand it, Northampton Saints, whether they wanted to play this fixture or not against Gloucester, were looking to give several players a couple of weeks off so that they can regenerate themselves for next season. Uh, some of those players may have even flown back to their countries of of birth to go and see loved ones. Those players have now got to self isolate for fourteen days. So the knock on effects of uh, of what's happened, uh, you know, are sort of there for every club. Hathers, I'd like to just talk about the the integrity of the league because that's what a lot of people on social media have, have called into question. Um, you know, by making this decision, has Premiership Rugby made a bit of a mockery of the of the of the COVID protocols that they've written at the beginning of, of rugby's uh, restart. I mean, one could argue that the integrity of the competition kind of was, was lost when Saracens were relegated. One could also argue that the integrity of this year's premiership has already been lost when you're asking teams to play three matches in the space of eight days. And we're seeing some score lines like we've seen over the last few weekends. So I'm not sure whether the, the word integrity in the league exists anymore for this particular season. And we've just almost got to write it off as something uh, uh, unique because the, the choice is you either compromise the integrity or you don't have any competition at all. And, and they should have just cancelled it right from the get-go and not tried to restart in the first place. Well, I think, I think what we've got now is, is better than nothing. But um, you're right, the Saracens thing skewed the whole thing. Then COVID and you're seeing these... You can predict most of the matches before they started in the last few rounds, but it's great they've got them on. I just wonder, I mean, we're supposed to be on top of this and we're confused. How do you explain it to your mates? You know, who runs rugby? Premier Rugby, the RFU, Public Health England, who runs it? I don't know. Look, things could change by the time we release this Ruck podcast, but uh, Sale have obviously uh, come out on on BT Sport over the weekend. Steve Diamond making uh, his feelings and thoughts very clear that they haven't compromised any... COVID regulations, uh, either Premiership Rugby's or even the um, the government guidelines. There is a an inspection and a meeting going on between Public Health England today and the Sale Sharks Rugby Club. So we could have a decision on whether this game against Worcester goes ahead, either by the close of play today. The players that uh, Chris Jones is referring to will have to be retested tomorrow, which is the day before, you know, 24 hours before the game on Wednesday. And if there hasn't been further infection in the squad, then I guess Public Health England and Sale will be given the green light to go ahead and, and, and play this game. And Chris, we're now faced with a, a situation that uh, we've got three teams that have played some wonderful rugby to earn the right to be in the semi-finals. Obviously, Exeter, Wasps and Bristol, all trying to prepare for a semi-final place in less than a week's time. But they have got no idea who they'll be playing uh, until Wednesday night. And of course, the team that finishes in fourth, either Bath or Sale, won't know who they're playing until Wednesday night. I mean, it's it's almost become a little bit farcical, hasn't it? Well, it has been because, you know, Exeter and Bristol are looking to have a two-week preparation to, to two massive games, you know, besides the final. They've also got their European finals in the middle of all this. And yet they're asking them to go into team meetings and have either or on the board. 
And you know, as a, as a professional player, you want to know who you're playing. You can say, oh, we'll, we'll just concentrate on ourselves. Yes, but what about those nuances of the, of the, of the teams you're playing against? You know, there's a massive difference in Exeter playing Bristol as, as, as Exeter playing Sale. You really want to know what's going on. And I, I, it's, talking to Rob Baxter yesterday, I tell you what, he's convinced that Sale will not be allowed to play. And so, yeah, he's preparing for the four as it is. And, and that's very interesting because I don't I don't know what he's heard, but he was pretty adamant about that, you know. And uh, so he would expect to play Exeter versus Bath. Yeah, I mean, obviously the Sharks have, have uh, vehemently denied that their players broke any COVID regulations, either from the government or from Premiership Rugby, following their Premiership final win two weeks ago. But obviously, I guess what's, what Public Health England and every director of rugby and every fan across the land is probably worried about or, or raising a few eyebrows about uh, Hathers is them explaining how they've gone from two or three positive tests to uh, to double digits in, in such a short space of time. And I, and I think it's probably that that we need to understand a bit more clearly before a decision is going to be made about this game. Well, if you assume that these tests are correct, and there's a bit of conjecture about that as well, generally, with the general public, whether these tests actually work properly or not, then something has obviously gone slightly wrong. And I'm sure sure we'll find out what it is later on today. I mean, the one thing, if that game doesn't go on, Bath will be celebrating because they uh, nearly stuffed it up yesterday. Well, they did. And, and just, so, just so our listeners are clear, I think what we, have to, what we have to explain is that all the tests that are undertaken by Premiership rugby players are centralised tests that are done independently and they are monitored and looked after by an independent medical board and they are looked at and assessed by independent virologists as well. So... You know, this is not a this is not a Premier Rugby cover-up in any way whatsoever. You know, all of all of the clubs, Sale included, have had to adhere to some pretty strict procedures and guidelines that are all run independently. Well, listen, hopefully we will get to the bottom of what's happening at Sale. And you know, if I'm honest, whilst it leaves a bad taste in the mouth, one one does hope that the playoffs are settled by rugby rather than by anything off the field and and by fixtures having to be forfeited. I'd like to talk about the rugby because we should celebrate really, gentlemen, the, uh, the, the, the teams that have made it through and, and the season that we've had now that we've concluded, almost concluded round 22 of the Gallagher Premiership. So if we take maybe a team each, Jonesy, uh, I mean, Exeter, uh, I mean, you know, can they do the double? Will they do the double? They are certainly deserve to be uh, right up there at the top of the league. Exeter is still the team that everyone judges themselves amongst on. Incidentally, he said that uh, it wasn't a cover-up by Premier Rugby. Nice to see they didn't cover cover this up. They covered everything else up for two years. Exeter, I think they're just too clued up, too focused. I think, amazingly, their players will be rested because Rob Baxter has, has copped a few defeats with his second and third team. They're perfectly aligned. They're exactly where they want to be. They've got very few injuries. And uh, in a way, it'd be very difficult to deny them. But uh, uh, you're going to go on to speak to someone else about Wasps. Incredibly, Wasps are only three points behind Exeter. What a, what a tribute that is. But when you get these guys, Joe Simmons, uh, Henry Slade, the two Johnnies in the second row, the scrummage, I think that uh, Exeter remain favourites. But also, wouldn't it be marvellous if someone runs them really close? I really applaud Exeter. You, you've struggled to find a rugby fan that, that would have a bad word to say about 
what they've created there. Not everyone is a fan of necessarily the way that they play their rugby, although I'd argue that that has changed over the last few seasons. But uh, mm. you, can't, you can't argue about what they've achieved and what they continue to achieve. Chris, talk to us about Wasps. This is a club you used to follow quite, quite closely. My old club, obviously, they brought in Mark Atkinson, who has um, certainly done a, done a fantastic job on the, on, the, uh, on the fitness and the conditioning. But I don't think anyone can quite believe since rugby restarted or since Lee Blackett took over, they've, they've won something like 12 out of 14 games, 10 of them with a bonus point. And, and more importantly, they played a brand and a style of rugby that's really, I don't know about put a smile on their faces, it certainly put a smile on everyone else's face. They talk about confidence, but uh, it's been an incredible run, hasn't it? Absolutely. You know, they've got 15 bonus points, more than Exeter. And Rob Baxter paid a you know, fulsome tribute. He said, he's, I warn my players that coming to watch is a big problem because they play with a smile on their, on their faces. And, you know, it is great to watch. And, you know, you could say, you know, were they really going to be a major force if Lima Savanga wasn't part of their... He hasn't been part of the, the squad in any shape or form to influence things. And other people have stepped up. You've got Amarga playing, you know, 90% of the time he plays really, really well. He has still uh, some problems he does because he's very, very young. But, hey, this guy's got something special about him. And outside him, you've got Jimmy Gopoth, another 19 points yesterday. And then you've got uh, the wonderful Fakatoa killing people with the best tackling technique in the league uh, at, at outside centre. And and they're being fed by by players like Jack Willis with 43 turnovers, Lawrence. In your career, did you get to 43? No. That is an incredible one season. 43 turnovers. Yellow, yellow cards, I might have matched him. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and yesterday he wasn't playing. So what happens? Thomas Young comes flying in to cause all kinds of brothel. Tom Willis causing problems. And I tell you what, Brad Shields is now playing like the guy who was that big force in New Zealand. And that's really important for... Uh, for the ball carrying of uh, of a side that played yesterday without uh, Jack Willis and more importantly without Joe Launchbury and those two will be back for the semi finals and you wouldn't want to play uh, Wasps for the moment because any from anywhere on the pitch they are going to hurt you and it's been lovely to watch. Yeah, here, here, it's great to see them back in the mix and I'm sure there's still Wasps fans that have the odd nightmare about the uh, last minute penalty they gave away to the Exeter Chiefs to. Uh, to lose the Premiership final um, back in, uh, what was it, 2017 now. The other unquestionable success story has been the Pat Lamb-inspired Bristol. They, you know, they not necessarily um, were widely tipped to, uh, to do what they've done, but they've kind of followed Exeter's pattern in the sense that uh, not only have they made the top six, they've actually broke into the top four and, uh, you know, they're on the verge of doing something pretty special. Well, I mean, interestingly, a couple of weeks ago, Pat Lamb said that he was sort of prioritising the Challenge Cup in Europe because obviously Bristol haven't won, won anything for a few years. But it's great to see him up the league. They are, it is a big, massive rugby city. I mean, these two guys, the two kids from Saracens, they've got and have added a bit of punch. But uh, I know there's a few quid sloshing around there. They've got their new training centre and everything. But this guy, Rodrada, whatever they're paying him. He's worth every penny of it. He's been brilliant. I, th- I think there's a lot of stories there. You know, the form of Callum Sheedy, I think, cannot be ignored. Yeah. Um, you know, he's Welsh. Is he Welsh qualified? I think he is. Yeah. There's one or two other players, uh, Ben Earl uh, and Max Malins, although he, he won't choose to remember uh, too much about <laughs> the game yesterday, Max Malins. But I think the, it's deeply impressive how, how quickly they, they've settled in. And, and again, you know, we talk about Wasp playing with a smile on their face. I mean, you know, Bristol just just to prepare to have a go from anywhere, which, uh, which I think is fantastic. So uh, um, 
you know, listen, we'll, we'll see who uh, who joins them. Could be Bath, uh, could be Sale. We'll, we'll park that conversation for now. I think it uh, would be re- remiss of us not to um, to mention some of the uh, the absolute gladiators of of Premiership and the international rugby. Uh, Chris Robshaw, of course, marked his final game for Quinns, three hundredth game for Quinns with a win at Leicester. Richard Wigglesworth marked his, I think, two hundred fiftieth was it. Um, match signed off in style for Saracens, but he could yet return to the Premiership uh, with another club next season. Brad Barrett, of course, didn't play yesterday, but uh, but signed off in style. Jonesy, uh, we saw. I mean, Stephen Jones wrote a piece about Richard Wigglesworth and and, and his uh, influence really on on Premiership rugby. I mean, you followed a lot of these guys. We should salute them all, really. I mean, it's, I, I guess the biggest shame is that is that the fans weren't there to. To, to see them, to connect with them, to, to say thank you to them for, for their outstanding service. Absolutely. You know, if you took Richard Wigglesworth and Brad Barrett out of Saracens for the last decade, you know, what a massive void to be filled. You know, the greatest tactical kicking scrum half I've ever seen and one of the hardest, most honest centres who put everything on the line. I mean, he is Arnold Schwarzenegger. He is a Terminator. He's got metal pieces all over him. And they just summed up that, you know, that cussedness, that refusal to back down that Saracens had, but also that absolute commitment to a tactical game plan, which they never varied from. And, you know, people say, you know, he's, you know, how good a tactical kicker was Wigglesworth. Well, he was fantastic, but what they had was the most brilliant kick chase organization with Barrett leading it that we've ever seen and they've changed people's attitudes of the way you can actually play using that tactic and for Chris Robshaw yeah a win at Leicester by the way who would have been five points adrift at the bottom of this league if Saracens hadn't been dumped down there a, a win that he did obviously didn't get at home but he has got that win and he's heading off for two years in San Diego and you know what? I wish I was going with him at the moment, the way this is this country's feeling. <laughs> well, I have to say, you, you you wouldn't. I mean, he's obviously started the uh, the haircut metamorphosis. It seems to be getting blonder and blonder by the week. So he's obviously getting ready for life in in San Diego. Pathers, I mean, is there anyone we? I mean, the, the, the Saracen story. Just park the uh, the salary cap, you know, troubles uh, to one side if we can. Uh, and and obviously, a lot of people would say, well, you know, they got there by default, but. Five Premiership titles, three European Cups. Uh, I mean, we're, we're probably talking about, rightly or wrongly, um, you know, the most successful Premiership side in, in in the competition's history, really, including the likes of Leicester, Wasp, and so on. So you can't take that away from them. You know, we well, no one has taken it away from them. That is a, a quite outstanding achievement. So I think we should mark that. Is I mean, is there any... I mean, other than Chris Robshaw, is, is there anyone else across the league that deserves an honourable mention? But just just on the two Saris lads quickly, they, um, proof of how important they are to that team was a couple of years ago when the their game against Claremont was called off on the Saturday, replayed on the Monday night. Both those guys went off early on and Saracens shipped 40 points. No coincidence that Brad went off in Paris when Saracens were ahead and they ended up losing. I don't think that's a coincidence. So they're really going to miss them when they do get back in the Premiership. Rob Shaw, well, my thoughts on him are well documented. He's been absolutely brilliant and unfairly copped all flat for 2015. Although I know certain people on this podcast don't agree with me. For all his uh, Herculean efforts with Harlequins, uh, of which uh, 
the game against Leicester just gone was his 300th match, which in itself tells you everything about his uh, his endurance, his longevity, his, his, his mental resilience and toughness. He's certainly been there. He will always be remembered, I guess, for, uh, uh, you know, unfairly maybe singled out for uh, for what happened in, in 2015. Do you, do, you think that's, uh, do you think that's fair criticism or it's just inevitable? I'll tell you what, Lawrence, the most impressive thing about Rob Shaw is the way that he came back after 2015 when he could easily have chucked it in. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think he, having read a lot of the column inches over the last few weeks, I think he rightly sort of singles out his kind of... Um, Reacceptance into the England team by Eddie Jones winning over Eddie Jones after that 2015 final and and maybe prolonging his England career by another couple of seasons is probably one of his greatest ever achievements. You're listening to The Ruck. Enjoy more rugby insight and analysis throughout the season with The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and get one month free. Search thetimes.co.uk forward slash The Ruck to find out more. The biggest rugby tournament of the year is coming to a Green King pub near you. Watch all the unmissable action live as Europe's top six battle it out for glory in the Six Nations tournament. In and out, in and out, for the line! Leave your rivalries at the door and get their team together to watch the Six Nations. Feel the excitement and the buzz of coming together to enjoy matchday food and drink at your nearest Green King sports pub. Scores in the corner! The Six Nations and Green King. 18 plus drinkaware.co.uk. The Ruck Podcast is proud to be sponsored by Funding Circle. Funding Circle has been supporting small businesses since 2010, so they know that like rugby, running a business takes hard work, drive, and a good team supporting you. They've helped Saracens and England hooker Jamie George grow his business. Visit fundingcircle.com to find out how. If you're looking to improve different parts of your business or hire talent with extra know-how, Funding Circle provides finance that backs you and your business to succeed. Funding Circle, business finance that backs you. Gents, we're going to move on to the England squad, of which you probably know a lot more than I do. But uh, Eddie Jones has named a 30-man squad for a two-day get-together in London this week. Just so we're clear, no players from Exeter, Wasps, Bristol, Bath, Sale or Worcester have been selected. So effectively, he's named a 30-man squad from half the Gallagher Premiership. And most of that half are teams that finished in the bottom half of the table. There are 12 uncapped players in the party, including Joe Hayes of Leicester, Saracens' Alex Crossdale and Lewis Ludlow, not to be confused, of course, with Northampton Saints' Lewis Ludlem. Gents, I mean, I guess, you know, having committed to naming this squad, Jonesy, it's something that Eddie Jones wants to do. It's a chance to bring in fresh players. But but how much significance can we honestly pay to this particular group getting together for two days in London when uh, when obviously uh, half the team and half the half the country are, are unavailable for selection look this is England light isn't it I mean even where there's even where they're going to be based the Lensbury rather than the five-star Penny Hill Park these are these are different times and quite honestly is it relevant yeah for the for the guys in the squad it is relevant but in terms of for those who may be playing against Italy if that game goes ahead in, in Rome and then it, into the Nations Cup in in the autumn, I can't see more than a handful really being 
in the mix because those teams that, are, that will be playing in the semi-finals will be supplying the majority of the players for England. So it's great that he's having a look at some of these young players like, you know, Joe Hayes at Leicester and, and Ali Crossdale at Saracens and Jack Clement. It's, it's great for them to get a, an idea of what it is to be part of an England squad. But quite honestly, relevance, I don't see it. There's a lot for Eddie Jones to ponder, isn't there, really? As there always is when, when you're the England coach. But I guess, you know, for me, the big talking points will be you know, Courtney Law's uh, injured. George Cruz, obviously, uh, no longer available because he's off to Japan. So he's got some he's got some some thoughts and some questions to answer himself in the in the second row. I guess no Manu Tuolangi. You know, he's out long term. We wish him well with his recovery. There's some interesting questions at scrum half with clearly Ben Spencer and Dan Robson being the two for, informed players, but obviously Ben Young's with the with the kind of hundred cap scenario hanging over him. You know, will he? Won't he? Be awarded that for the uh, Italy England game. Do you see any of these players being involved in in that Italy game? I mean, I guess he's got a number of weeks and a number of international matches to really start thinking about a future and about who might uh, who might start to play a really key role in some of those positions we've discussed with England. Well, but the one good thing about this squad and the whole Saracen situation is he's got half a dozen of, of them in there who are going to probably form the backbone of his team anyway. So at least he gets them in for a bit longer. The second row-wise, he's called up Alex Moon and uh, Dave Ribbons. Ribbons was due to join up with England last season, but he got injured. He's quite an abrasive player. I just wonder, there's quite a few of these players who are qualified for other countries. I just yeah. wonder whether somewhere down the line, Eddie might try and get a cap into them and, and uh, capture them. Yeah, I don't... You know, Lewis Ludlam uh, from Northampton is unavailable because he's now self-isolating. So, uh, you know... The yeah. knock-on effects of, uh, of of the the story at the top of our show uh, are there for everyone to see. I bet you know he's probably disappointed that he can't join up with the England squad. Jonesy, I mean, in terms of the, I mean, let's park this squad for a second and talk more widely about England. Assuming every player is available, given the injuries that have that have just happened, and there may be one or two more. You know, do, where do you see the sort of key the key areas of of of, of deliberation around selection? Is it as is it around the scrum half? I guess it's inevitably always around the back row with, with the emergence of so many quality players um, leading the charge, the likes of Jack Willis, etc. But uh, are, those, are those the main areas? And other than that, he's got a fairly settled squad. Yeah, it's, uh, the focus should be what, where you were right in the middle of, which is, which is uh, 8, 9, 10 for this team. Because Billy, is he the best eight in terms of some of the guys out there at the moment who are playing you know, out of their skins? I mean, you'd want Don Brandt on the bench at the moment, wouldn't you? The guy is just on fire coming off to add to, add to, uh, to whatever's going on. But then how do you fit all those other ones in? Jack Willis, can you go into, the, into a game against a team like Italy without someone like Jack Willis in there? And uh, it's absolutely fascinating. Scrum half-wise, Ben Spencer would be my first choice, followed by Robson. And, of course, that leaves Ben hanging on for that 100th. And, you know, what a nice bloke. and He deserves a 100, but... On form, he's been playing in a Leicester team that have been bloody awful. But he's not going to be a first choice, is he? I mean, quite honestly, the form guy is Ben Spencer. And 10, George Ford, OK, last season he carried Leicester on his own. This year, it's been too much of a, of a burden for him. And, uh, and so is he really the guy who should be at 10? I know you can, you can say that he almost all, every single uh, 23 that Eddie's ever picked as he's got Ford and Farrell in there. But there's a lot of good players out there who are pushing really, really hard. I mean, Umaga's really pushing hard. Marcus Smith's obviously not in the squad. He's injured at the moment. He's been on fire as well. I love the fact that 
Ollie Lawrence and Joe Marchand are coming through with real you know, strength and, and pace in the midfield. But then Henry Slade just looks absolutely brilliant at the moment. So, again, that balance they've got to find, and England have to find that balance. In although all those three sections I mentioned, they've got to find that balance in the back row, right scrum half, and that 10-12 that inevitable question that we always come back to, Lawrence. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Eddie Jones has got enough games, Hathers, across this autumn series. Uh, maybe not the games he would have wanted initially, but he's got enough games to really have a look. And he's also got a championship to win. We, we mustn't forget that. You know, this this first game on on October the 31st is is a um, is an opportunity. Obviously, Ireland play have got two matches to finish off. But if but if England win this game and they win it well, uh, they do finish the. Uh, the, six, you know, the, the, the year by winning the Six Nations title. And I think, you know, people must remember that. So, you know, this is not about experimentation in this, in this game in, in Rome. This is about going out there with the best team to get the job done. But he's also got a game against the Barbarians the day after the Prem final, which I assume some of these lads who have been picked in this squad will play in. Obviously, the players who are in the final won't be available. Then, like you say, he's got championships to win. That's important. And then there's four varying internationals, including Georgia, where I can see a couple of these lads getting a cap and getting captured. We're speaking to Eddie tomorrow and I'm sure he'll, um, he won't give us his master plan, but I'm sure there is one. <laughs> yeah, the master plan is, do you continue to pick players who are not necessarily playing with the sort of form that they played with either during the World Cup or, or, or in the months leading up to the World Cup? Or do you go with the red-hot form players? I mean, the best number eight in England is Sam Simmons at the moment, uh, yeah. unquestionably. And I know Eddie's tried him once or twice before and there was question marks around his size. Does the uh, change in the, uh, in the in the in the interpretation of the back row laws does that change things ever so slightly? Does the injury to Courtney laws change that selection process ever so slightly? There's there's lots of questions to answer, and I'm really looking forward actually to this international window, probably more than most, because you know I'm quite excited by how many new players have burst onto the scene um, for Eddie Jones to really pick from, and I think it just shows to a certain degree how England do have so many good players to choose from. So. Really looking forward to that. We just switch our attentions to the Pro 14. Uh, there's been so much talk, Jones, of South Africa's likely withdrawal from the Rugby Championship. I think, has that now been confirmed? I think it has, hasn't it? Or New Zealand have accepted their withdrawal and they now are looking at a tie-up with the Pro 14. You know, what's the latest on the negotiations for the Sharks, the Bulls, the Stormers and the Lions, you know, to link up with the the 12 sides that currently exist in the competition. In these unprecedented times, you know, anything and everything is possible these days. You know, the traditional rugby model has kind of been blown out the window, really. The situation you have, Lawrence, and, and you know, because you're heavily involved in TV, is if you're going to have a new TV deal, you've got to offer something new. Throwing in the four major South African teams into the Pro 12, well, it would be Pro 16, would it? Will be fantastic and it'll be a different deal. And that would be great for South Africa because they are desperate for cash. And it'll be good for all the other home unions as well involved in this particular tournament. For the cheaters, it's an absolute disaster, which is why they're looking uh, to go legal on this because they're going to get you know, elbowed out straight away. But if you're in Ireland and Scotland and Wales and you've got the chance to, to see these four great South African sides come, you know, with the players who haven't yet left for, left for Europe, then you're going to be really excited by it. And, I, and it really, it's a tournament with Leinster dominating so strongly that needs something like this. And I, I was just so delighted to see the Ospreys getting the win away at Edinburgh. You know, uh, good on Toby Booth's boys, you know, and Stephen Myler still kicking. 
still kicking points. I mean, what is he, 85 now? It's absolutely fantastic. <laughs> Connaught winning 20, uh, 28, 24, you know, it's brilliant. And, and Munster were the last ditch kick from 50 metres to win it against the Scarlets. These are great moments for, for, for the Broadford team, but really it would it would go to a different level with the South African boys yeah. in there. There's a lot of criticism, perhaps a little bit unfairly, that Leinster only ever have to put out a, uh, uh, well, they don't necessarily have to put out their first choice team. They can rest a lot of players and yet still win the, um, the Pro 14 as it stands, a, a, a relative canter. But uh, clearly with the um, introduction of some of the South African sides, that might have to, uh, that would necessarily, you know, warrant a change of approach from, uh, from the Pro 14 uh, teams as well. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not Leinster's fault that they don't have to pick Johnny Sexton when they play away. It's the other team's fault. And the, the Pro 12, 14, 16, 8, whatever it is next week, it does need a bit of spicing up. And Leinster aren't going to pick a second team if they have to go to South Africa, are they? Yeah. No, no, listen, I, I totally agree with you. I, I wanted to ask a, a question that, that probably will catch you slightly blindsided, but the, the announcements last week around the championship, uh, as in the team, the division below the premiership, Saracens are now officially relegated. Their, 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 their um, time, their era has come to an end in, in the premiership. Um, can you, what can you see happening with them next season? Because as it stands, I don't think they've got any rugby to play, have they? Uh, in certain, unless the championship is suddenly given the green light to resume. So they could be in a situation where they're in, uh, in limbo. Uh, Hathers, have you got a bit of an update on that? Well, we, I was at Saracens on Sunday, spoke to Mark McCall, and he honestly hasn't got a clue when they're going to play again next. He said no um, inkling from the RFU or championship people about when their next game's going to be. I mean, they're, they're talking about the possibility if there's no championship playing um, some friendlies against big-name foreign teams, but obviously that's all up in the air because they could be back playing championship rugby in December. They really don't know. The other fascinating uh, uh, question, um, Jonesy, is that we've obviously seen a number of players go away on loan, the likes of Ezekiel, Ben Earl, Malins, some more permanently like Spencer. Um, you know, up to now, they, they've... Saracens remain resolute that, that, that obviously what's left is not going out the door. But I guess we know that Barrett's retired. We know that Wigglesworth is about to make an announcement in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see him back at sale in some capacity, either as a player or as a player coach. Is Mark McCall able to keep, able to keep that coaching team together? You know, the likes of Alex Anderson, who I know has been hot property for a number of premiership clubs for a while. You know, there's, there's a lot of fascinating questions. And as you say, you know, when is their next game going to be? Um, and what does that mean for those players who want to continue to play for, for England and the Lions? Up until now, they've always had the kind of, well, we've got one more game. We've got the European game, we've got the European Cup match against uh, Racing. We've got our last Premiership game. But I think the reality of what's happening with Saracens, Jones, is probably really starting to sink in as of today. Absolutely. And, you know, what's, what's going to happen is that I see Saracens becoming almost like a, a when they get their players back in, in April, because remember, so many of them have been involved in international matches till then, that they're going to be like a travelling circus. And I, I think we'll be seeing them playing uh, one-off matches across the equator, going down to South Africa, coming back and, and, and being the team that can earn you a few quid because they'll turn up with their big stars and... Uh, you get them at you get you you get them some of the big South African stadia, uh, and people will come and watch them. And it, it will be unusual; it'll be strange. The players will not be playing the regular rugby they need to be playing, but they'll get through it. And because I am absolutely convinced that you know people like Alex Good will come back from Japan and, and rejoin the squad. The guys who are on loan will come back, and they will want to come back and re-establish Saracens as quickly as they can. 
because although key elements of this team are, are going, uh, you know, really important elements, the belief that they're creating, what well, they always talk about creating you know, great memories and that, they won't want to dissipate overnight just because they've been relegated. And there's a huge amount of desire to make Saracens great again based on those players who are remaining. I wonder if any of their, if, if they'll even consider the option of, uh, of some of their current players going out on loan next season at any point or, or if there's deals to be done with other premiership clubs you know they'll, they'll clearly want to try and keep their team together as much as possible but we've already seen what a massive asset any of their players can be to, to teams I mean they've you know they've been having an influence uh, right across the league really so uh, it'll be fascinating to see if there's any further deals to be done gents uh, We've got to finish with our with our god or goddess of the week. I'm going to let you two go first. I, I don't think it'll be any surprise as to who I might name as my god of the week. You'll be happy to know it's not Stephen Jones, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, Jonesy, if we start with you, I mean, who who is uh, who's really who deserves this this uh, wonderful accolade? Look, there's a lot of talk about rugby. Is rugby changing? Can you can you make a tackle anymore? Can you can you actually make a, a physical tackle that that puts somebody on their ass and not be yellow carded? And my God of the Week is Malachi Fekatoa, who absolutely hammered poor Tom Wyatt into next week with one of the great dumb tackles, legal dumb tackles of the season, and just reminded us what makes rugby so great. And Tom, you know, he was playing in the level eight of, uh, of the English system only last year. He picked himself up. He was covered in paint from the Gallagher logo. And he turned around to his mates and had a great big smile on his face because he'd just been done by a world-class player. And he'll never forget that. And it reminded us all what a big tackle can do in any game. And Fakato is my god of the week. Uh, and having been, uh, having been dumped on my backside by Sebastian Chabal, the, the, the advice that I can give him is that, that that tackle will be replayed over and over <laughs> and over again. And uh, <laughs> it will never be made to forget it, that's for sure. Um, Hathers, um, who, uh, who gets the nod from you? I think I might have done you in cold blood here, Lawrence. My God of the Week is from Wasps, and uh, he's probably God of the last seven months, actually. Lee Blackett, 11 wins out of 12, taking them from 10th till 2nd. There was a lot of chat about him when he was an assistant, but we never really got the chance to, to speak to him. Obviously, now he's in charge. We get the chance to speak to him a lot more. And he's done a ridiculous job, and fair play to him. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I have to say, gents, uh, I can't make it a, a trio of wasps because they'll be uh, will be investigated by the Public Health England Authority at some point. But uh, what I can say is that the that the god uh, of the week, in my opinion, has to come from the three Premiership players who uh, who have stood down this weekend. I mean, obviously, the two Saracens players have been phenomenal: five Premiership titles, three European Cups. But Chris Robshaw. I'm going to stick with the back row. I think what he's been through for England, captaining his country, 300 games for Harlequins, uh, which in itself is an achievement. And I think he is our God of the week. And uh, he'll be heading over to uh, to America very, very shortly. Gentlemen, my thanks to you all, to Stephen Jones, Chris Jones and Adam Hathaway. By this time next week, we should know finally who's reached the Gallagher Premiership final. But who knows these days? If you've enjoyed the ruck, Please leave us a review and you can subscribe on Acast, iTunes and your usual podcast provider. Thanks for listening to the Ruck Podcast. We're delighted to be teaming up with Funding Circle and Funding Circle Ambassador Jamie George is with me. All right, Jamie? Hello. Hello. How are you? All good. 
Good, good. So away from Saracens and England duty, you are a business owner and Funding Circle is a huge supporter of small and medium sized UK businesses. How have they helped you? Yeah, so uh, I've got a business with a friend of mine. It's a physiotherapy business, effectively delivering the same level of care I get as a professional sportsman to the general public. And we've been looking to expand and grow the business as quickly as we can. And with the financial products that Funding Circle have done, we wouldn't have been able to do it without them. So Funding Circle has been supporting small businesses with access to the finance they need to grow since 2010. And they know that like rugby, running a business takes hard work, drive and a good team supporting you. If you want to invest in your business and take your team to the next level, Funding Circle provides finance that backs you and your business to succeed. Visit FundingCircle.com to find out how Jamie is growing his business backed by Funding Circle. Jamie, can you do the honours? Funding Circle, business finance that backs you. The biggest rugby tournament of the year is coming to a Green King pub near you. Watch all the unmissable action live as Europe's top six battle it out for glory in the Six Nations tournament. In and out, in and out, for the line! Leave your rivalries at the door and get their team together to watch the Six Nations. Feel the excitement and the buzz of coming together to enjoy matchday food and drink at your nearest Green King sports pub. Scores in the corner! The Six Nations and Green King. 18plusdrinkaware.co.uk 